Welcome to episode 30 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And we have returning for his third appearance, Al Sedano. Welcome back, Al. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Yeah, so we keep bringing him back, but he keeps picking shorter and shorter stories. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Next time, we're just doing a 12-pager. Yeah, this time we've got a single-issue story in Incredible Hulk 181. I wanted an easy one. Yeah, this one is written by Len Wein, penciled by Herb Trimpey, inked by Jack Abel, colored by Glynis Oliver Wein. Or is it, no, sorry, it should be pronounced Ween, shouldn't it? Yeah, Len Wein yeah. and Glynis Oliver Ween. Yep. Lettered by Artie Simek and edited by Roy Thomas. Cover date November 1974, release date July 30th, 1974. And as we've already said, it came out in spot number 30 in the countdown. So, technical details aside, we'll throw in a promo for one of Al's shows, and then we'll come back and discuss the issue and its contents itself. In February 2014, a new podcast dedicated to the Marvel Comics character, Adam Warlock, debuted. And the internet broke in half. Well, not really. Far from it, to be honest. But a few of you actually noticed, and we thank you for that. Over the course of 2014, we covered all of Adam's Silver Age adventures and have started on his Bronze Age solo series, as well as his current appearance in two Thanos specials. But it's time for a change. So I'm sad to announce that episode 20 will be the last episode of Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast. However, I am pleased to announce that in 2015, we will premiere the first episode, which we will call Episode 21 of Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Yes, the show is continuing, but now with more Thanos. Each month we have John M. Wilson on as we cover an issue of Warlock, and the other episode of the month, we will continue to have Brian Zeno on to cover Thanos' appearances, starting with Captain Marvel 25. So join us in 2015 for Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Now with 20% more Thanos. And we're back. So we like to take a look at these issues and talk about what happened in the story, what impact it had on us, how we were first exposed to it, and what continuity-based significance this had, if any. I think it's safe to say this did have some impact on continuity. Yeah, slightly, because, I mean, they changed who the Wendigo was. Oh, yeah. So, you know. It was a different person as the big monster. Or what, it's has really driven its price up if you try to go buy it on eBay. This is the first meaningful appearance of Wolverine. Who? I, yeah, he's <laughs> yes. uh, James Howlett. See, I, I'm born and raised in Alberta. That's where this character was born. We don't have that many characters from the local area. So always root for the home team here. I'm from New Jersey. What do, I mean, we finally have Miss Marvel, the new Miss Marvel. Okay. Pretty much that was it. I mean, I think there was the craptacular B-sides from a couple years ago, but that was it for Marvel. And I think you've got one of the Enforcers as well. Joy. Uh, but in any event, yeah, Wolverine, I'd say his first meaningful appearance. There are those who will refer to this as his first appearance. I am very nitpicky about stuff like that. This is not his first appearance. Had Incredible Hulk been cancelled with issue 181, and it, or with issue 180, and issue 181 had never seen print, Wolverine would still appear in official handbooks to the Marvel Universe. Yes. He may be a completely unrecognizable character compared to what he is today, but he'd be in there. Yeah. And it actually was an actual appearance. You actually see him. He talks. He says his name. 
it's not like a shadowy who is this person we can't really see him appearance. No, yeah, the the final panel of issue 180, going by memory, because only we read 181 for this Same one. here. The final panel is pretty darn similar to the first panel of 181, which is the splash page. Hulk and Wendigo are about ready to fight, and Wolverine jumps in saying, I'm going to take you both on. And that's what we have. We have the first version of his costume, which is clearly in the inspiration for the second version of his yellow costume, but it went under some pretty heavy modifications, particularly in the mask area. Yeah, they extended the ear hair thing, whatever. You, I'm not really sure what to call it, but you know what? Part, the, the part, the pointy bits that come up that go up the side of his head. Yeah, the ones that surround his eyes, but sort of come out like the Wolverine's ears, and they downplayed the the whiskers that are built into the mask design. And I'm trying to remember, but I think also he gets more sleeves because here it's kind of very much like a tank top. Uh, the sleeves came in with the brown costume. I oh, remember okay. the yellow one still cutting off with those blue ridges at the shoulder. Oh, it did? Okay, couldn't remember. I, I I never was a fan of the L costume. Yeah, I think the angle came down a little bit, so it covered more of the shoulder, but it still went from armpits to a point on the shoulder. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I was never a big fan of the yellow costume. I liked the brown and yellow, orange one. I felt that suited him more. I'm like, what? Because, I mean, sorry, what better costume for this dangerous, you know, possibly psychotic person to wear? Bright yellow, of course. Yeah, I kind of prefer the brown one myself, so... It gets a lot of ridicule and I don't know, know why. jokes about how John Byrne is colorblind and can't you tell that from the costume, but... I thought it looked awesome. And when Jim Lee brought this one back, I was like, really? Ugh, why? Yeah. But in any event, yeah, that is the main significance, and that's most of the plot. Wolverine jumps into the fight, and what we learn about Wolverine here, we do get one mention that he's a mutant. We learn from this issue, or we reinforce this issue, we actually learned it in the last issue, that he is working for the Canadian government. And they invested a lot of money into him. We know that he's got adamantium claws. Even though they call him a mutant, we don't find out what his mutant powers are. Yeah, that's not really mentioned. No, and he is he's a lot more talkative in this issue than he will later become. You know, he's constantly doing expositional dialogue. Yeah, they also play up his agility a lot more than would be done in X-Men. Yeah. He's a little closer to Spider he's a little closer to like a violent Spider-Man here. He is. And part of that was because apparently Len Wein and Herb Trimpey's original idea didn't fly with editorial. They were not intending him to be a mutant. That's right. I reading that. He was supposed to be a mutated Wolverine. Yeah, he had the origin story that later was introduced in Spider-Woman, not accepted by fans, and retconned in Spider-Woman. But he would have been a project of the High Evolutionary who evolved the Wolverine into humanoid form. So they had him in mind as having the appearance of a teenager, but actually only being two or three years old. And that would be completely changed in the X-Men because he was nowhere near a teenager. No, as Len Wein said, it's, you know, he remembered hanging on to that idea and keeping that appearance. And that was his mental image until about 10 issues into Uncanny when they were out in the square in New York, whose name I'm blanking on, the one that has the, the fountain and the giant tree. and it's Rockefeller Center. Yeah, Rockefeller Center. They're getting ready for the big Christmas issue where they took the masks off. And he's, oh, OK, I guess that's Wolverine now. Yeah, that was 98, I want to say. That sounds about right. So... Anyway, he shows up. He does a lot of the fighting. The Hulk does the, well, my enemy and my enemy must be my friend thing. If he's fighting the Wendigo, he must be helping me. So Wolverine's like, I don't know why this guy thinks I'm on his side, but hey, I'll take his help. Beat down the Wendigo oh, for a I, while. Oh, I did like that. I feel so bad for him. Yeah, which I think is the point, because that's very much Len Wein's take on the Hulk. Is, you know, he is sort of the downtrodden. He's the guy that's misunderstood. He's abused and taken advantage of. And that's what happens here until Wolverine figures, ah, yeah, the Wendigo looks pretty down. My turn to go after the Hulk. And then it really becomes a Wolverine-Hulk battle. 
while the Wendigo story gets wrapped up by apparently the Wendigo's sister, and she gets taken out of the fight for a while, and the, her love interest had, takes on the Wendigo curse to save her brother from the curse because he's in love with her. But yeah, poor yeah. So yeah, he ta- her love interest basically takes on the Wendigo. Yeah, it's that from her brother. Sacrifice. Yep. Yes. And then Hulk and Wolverine kind of go their separate ways because Hulk beats down Wolverine enough to be able to walk away before Wolverine recovers. And then Wolverine was never heard from again. Yeah, who? Wolver who? It's not like, yeah. I mean, they never use them anywhere like X-Men or Uncanny X-Men, Avengers, everywhere. Yeah. You don't get the running jokes of how can he be on all these teams? Which I, I swear that's finally explained by Age of Ultron, when he's jumping through time to try and fix things. That's why he shows up on every team, because he's just been going through time so often. He's still doing the time loops. <laughs> now, I like the I like the explanation of, uh, well, it's not an explanation, but yeah, an explanation of the uh, Kirby Crackle song about Wolverine, which is just every single day. I don't get a break. It's today I'm with the X-Men, tomorrow with the Avengers, tomorrow I'm here, tomorrow I'm here, then I'm S.H.I.E.L.D., then I'm going by my own. Like, I don't get any time off. I'm just tired. Stingray gets to take vacations. I haven't heard that yet. I should check it out. But in any event, that's the the rough plot. In terms of the impact this had on the industry, Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah, it had a huge impact. I mean, besides the fact that the character, it also was an early appearance of one of these anti-heroes. Because they really, this was around the time in the 70s, they were starting to have Punisher out and a few others. And I mean, he's very violent in this first issue. I mean, he, their first issue, his weapon is these big claws. And he's hacking and slashing it. Hulk and Wendigo. Now, granted, they have them against characters that are invulnerable for the most part, so it's not like you're going to see him killing them. But he's not just using, you know, I got a little energy blast thing, or I can punch somebody. Yeah, and that's part of the issue to have carrying him out of this as is in this in this format, where he is this hell-bent on fighting. He can have that attitude up against the Hulk and the Wendigo, because under the Comics Code Authority, you can't show that much blood. But these guys aren't going to bleed, so he can get away with it. But we've got the significance of the industry Personal stories, how we each read it. I actually read it for kind of odd reasons. As I've mentioned in other podcasts, I collected every Get Corp DVD ROM because on a price per issue of issues of significance, you can't beat it. 500 issues for 50 bucks? Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it works out to less than a diamond issue. So I got them all. And they were basically being published faster than I could make time to read them. <laughs> so I figured I'm going to have to get through all of these. But if I start with the characters I am most interested in, there's no guarantee I'm going to turn around and get through all the rest of them. So I looked at the stack of DVD ROMs and say, okay, who do I like the least? Who do I need to get out of the way first? So I picked up the Hulk and started there. And somewhere out there in listener land, J. David Weeder is crying. But it's okay, Dave, because when I was reading it in this era, it was a bit of a chore. I really liked the brains over Braun. And the Hulk, for the first decade or two of his run, the stories were essentially, Hulk see bad guy, bad guy start fight. Hulk smash. Bad guy no smash. Hulk get mad. Hulk get stronger. Hulk smash harder. Ah, Hulk smash. And then at some point, Hulk sad. Yeah, that's, yeah. And with Hulk smash bad guy, oh, no one like me. Hulk lonely. And that was over and over and over. So I had actually charted myself, I must read an issue a day until this is done. Dave can rest assured, when I got to the pad smash era that he, or the era that he covers in his pad smash podcast, when it's running... The yeah. Peter David era. I wasn't viewing an issue a day as a chore. I was going through like 12 or 15 issues a day going, I must sleep before work tomorrow. It took until Peter David before I found I could enjoy the Hulk. Yeah, I started read, re- regularly reading it during that time when it was Mr. Fix-It. And oh, it was uh, like the top of my reading list every time I came out until he was off. Yeah. So the Hulk stories 
form 5.3% of the 75 greatest Marvel stories. Yeah, because you got Planet Hulk. Yeah, we've got Incredible Hulk 181, we've got Hulk number one, we've got Planet Hulk, and we've got World War Hulk. I am actually quite surprised that there are no Peter David issues of the Hulk on this list. Really? What, World War Hulk? Planet Hulk, I can't see. But World War? World War Hulk is 55. Uh, that was okay, but... At least for me, it was okay, but... Yeah, and for the listeners, yes, we are recording these out of order. You heard World War Hulk 25 episodes ago. And no future imperfect? No, we go World War Hulk at 55, Planet Hulk at 41, which listeners have already heard, and Hulk number one is coming up at number 15. I am very surprised that Peter David's Hulk didn't show up on this list. And frankly, of the four Hulk stories, this one does not show up because of the Hulk. This one shows up because of Wolverine. Well, yeah. We mentioned this before in the New Mutants one. It's not because it's a great story. It's because it's the first It's the first Peter David's Wolverine. Because it's not even the best Wolverine story. It's far from the best Wolverine story. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Wolverine, you know, the the Miller-Claremont miniseries, yeah. Which is on the list. Okay, yeah, that's at least a better one. Or even though it's an X-Men one, but it still has a big focus on Wolverine. Uncanny Annual 11, that's a, you know, decent use of Wolverine. A really good use of Wolverine, I thought. But, you know, there's a lot of other ones. But, yeah, this one, it's a bit of a disappointing issue, I think. I would not really tell people, go rush out and read this one. It's a bit more for historical significance. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. This is here, if if you want to read the first, as I said, meaningful appearance of Wolverine, if you want Wolverine as more than the guy who jumps out from behind a rock and says, I'm here, you read this issue. Yeah, that's basically what it is. If you actually want to read what you could feel like is the first real Wolverine, go to gi- read any reprint of Giant Size X-Men 1, because that's the first time he appears after this one anyway. So Yeah, and you could even make a case where it's really not until the John Byrne era of Uncanny, that Wolverine comes into his own. Because they were ready to kill him off. He wasn't terribly popular. And John Byrne being Canadian is going, no, 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 we have very few Canadian superheroes. Let me show you what to do with Wolverine. Yeah, although Cockrum did introduce, is basically the introduction of the You Never Asked bit of his origin. Because that's when you first see the claws come out of his hand, not his gloves. Yeah, they were working with him. And I could see why he was so popular with fans, especially after John Byrne dealt with him. Because he did add complexity to this character. And then for a lot of his appearances since then, there's the Claremont and Miller miniseries that was discussed back in episode 54 of this podcast. And he was largely stagnant until he finally got his own ongoing in the late 80s. The character, as we saw him at the end of the Burn run, changed a little bit with the Claremont and Miller. And then from Claremont and Miller, right up until Peter David started writing him as a solo character, it was really the same Wolverine with very little development for him. Peter David wrote that run? The first few issues, yeah. I did not know that. I might have to go. I might, that might actually have to go on my reading list now. That's something I'm interested in now reading. There's actually a, a pretty great issue early on where Wolverine and Mister Fixit run into each other in Wolverine's title. Yeah, I remember seeing those cover or the cover for that, but I didn't realize it was da- Peter David doing it. So at the time, especially, I was like, I mean, looking back at it at times, I was like, ah, somebody else trying to do, you know, Mister Fixit. I'll just read the actual issues. I didn't realize it was Peter David. Yeah, he wrote a few of them. Checking my database. I was mistaken by him being there from the launch, but he did write, you know, at least issues, you know, looks like about 9 to 16. All right, still enough to read. All right, cool. Yeah, I believe his entire run on the title is in the first essential. I'm sure most of it's in the Unlimited anyway. But anyway, event, so that was my first exposure to it was in the context of plowing through the Hulk because I felt Hulk was a character that he needed to be plowed through. And frankly, Peter David, Greg Pak, 
and Mark Wade are the only three writers who have thus far changed my mind. Although, to be fair to Jason Aaron and Gary Duggan, I haven't tried their runs yet. Yeah. Although, I will say, I did enjoy, as much as I was didn't think I would, I was entertained by Joe Casey's seven issues after Peter David left. Because he did the issues of Incredible Hulk after Peter David left before they ended the title to bring it back with John Byrne. Okay. Yeah, with John Byrne's return to the Hulk. Yeah. When they brought it back, they restarted with number one. Yeah, following Heroes Reborn and Heroes Rebirth. Yeah. But I did like, the, I remember liking Joe Casey. I liked what he did. But yeah, for me, the first time reading this was, Marvel did some kind of reprints or uh, reprints where they had a nice, I'm trying to remember what the kind of version it was. It was a nice, like, gold foil, uh, silver foil or silver coloring around, like, the outside of the cover. Yeah, that would have been the, probably the Masterworks editions. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the actual Marvel Masterworks, not the hard covers. It was just, like, a single issue. It was. They had Masterwork editions, single issues to show off the paper quality the trade dress and the recoloring that would have been done. So they had, you know, to go along with the first Fantastic Four Masterworks, you could get just issue one redone, which is how I first read Fantastic Four number one. And they had a few of these. So it was a single issue, but that silver foil trim, you remember, was them kind of showing you what the Masterworks hardcover would look like. Okay, because part of me wants to say it said Masterworks, but I knew Marvel Masterworks as the hardcover Marvel Master, you know, the big hardcover ones. So that would have been me. That I picked that up when it came out, probably because I was like, oh, it's the first Wolverine. OK, you know, I read most of his stuff in X-Men. Might as well see the first. But if I read it, I was like, oh, OK, that was a story. Yeah. Yeah. The first Fantastic Four, the first Hulk. When I was reading those as a comics reader in the 90s with no historical context, I wasn't as impressed with them as I thought I might be. When I at one point decided to read my entire comic collection in the Chronological Order publication and read a lot of DC stuff from about 1955 to 1961 and then hit Fantastic Four number one. At that point, I went, oh, now I get That's, it. That's, yeah. When you have the context. Well, this is probably going to turn out to be one of our shorter podcasts because I'm not sure how much else there is to say about this. Well, yeah, I mean, for one thing, it's not much happens in the issue. They fight a lot. Yeah, and we, so we learn what kind of fighter Wolverine is, and that's about it. We don't know he's going by Logan. We don't know exactly what the Canadian government did to this mutant. We don't know what his mutant powers are. We don't know why they say they've invested this much money in Weapon X. Or why they think he can go up against the Hulk. Yeah, and even there, there's debate amongst the government about whether or not he can handle it. And one guy says, well, you know, it's his first active mission. He asked for six hours. I'm going to give him the six hours. Yeah. Right. It's just, there's more that we don't know after this than what we do know. So it, it's just there because it's, you know, if you want those early issues of Wolverine, this is a Pretty big box to check. And that's about it. Yeah, I really can't add more to that. I wish I could, but I can't. Like I said, yeah, if you really need to read the first one, that's it. Otherwise, you can just start with Giant Size X-Men 1 Yeah, and don't really worry about it. Yeah, And in fact, for any real meat to this issue, if you want to deal with the deeper meanings in that, the section of the podcast that I have openly admit I stole from Mission Log, where you look for messages, morals, and meanings, just as they do with episodes of Star Trek, which is a podcast you really should be listening to if you have even a passing interest in Star Trek, because they're doing a fantastic job. Looking at that in here, everything, all the morals, all the messages, all the meanings, any ethical questions are almost exclusively handled by the supporting guest stars in the Windigo storyline. Right. It's all about that sacrifice in the name of love. Yeah, but it's nothing to do with the Hulk or Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, we've got the, the female lead trick the Hulk to come up because she figured he could handle the Windigo curse and cure her brother. We've got her friend who's in love with her going, whoa, 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 you're going to give the Wendigo power to the Hulk? That's a bad idea. Oh, yeah, George's Baptiste. Yeah, yeah, George. I'm sure ruining the name. 
Yeah, take it from the the Canadian. That's a, a French name. The S is silent. Ah. That's uh, Georges Baptiste, because this does happen or take place in Quebec. So he looked at it and said, no, no, that's a really bad idea. Yeah, that's stupid. But I can see I'm not going to stop you from saving your brother and lifting this curse. So rather than have you unleash that on the world, I am just going to take that curse onto myself so that the woman I love does not have that on her conscience and she still gets her brother back. Which will stay on him until Uncanny X-Men, like, 140. Yeah, it's it's there for quite a while. And it is that sacrifice in the name of love. So that's what we're seeing here, whether the ends justify the means and, in that case, the noble self-sacrifice. Sometimes you take the hit to save the world. And that's exactly what George Baptiste was doing. He did not want to see the Hulk with Wendigo powers on top of his own powers. Yeah, because that's just scarier. Yeah. Especially since the Hulk in this era, as much as the military hates him, because as far as they're concerned, he just attacked. They didn't initially know that he was Bruce Banner and that they had him confined. Right up to this point, the Hulk fought in self-defense. I can't think of a case where he threw the first punch. Unless the military is showing up, and even that it wasn't the first few appearances of the military, it's only after... About a dozen appearances of the military where the Hulk can learn, when these guys show up, they shoot at me. So just don't wait. Just start fighting back. I just start smashing. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is, yeah, this is the very child, this is the childish Hulk. This is the leave Hulk alone Hulk. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is that the Hulk just wants to be left alone. <laughs> Which no military on Earth ever thought was a good idea. No, we gotta shoot him. Yeah, because, as I said, based on the military history, they came up with the idea of, you no, know, if you see the Hulk, you take him down. To the point where if Hulk sees something that looks military to him, he will fight it because that's been his experience with the military. So there comes a time when the military simply has to fight defensively. Yeah, and then I think there's a point after they bring back Thunderbolt Ross years later where his tactic is, no, we're going to ignore you. We're not going to bother you at all. You want to be left alone? Bye. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. It's about time they reach that point. But yeah, so that's that's what we have here. We get that the noble sacrifice of love from the guest stars in a storyline which, as you mentioned, doesn't even get resolved in the Hulk. Pretty much everything that shows up here gets resolved in X-Men. That's yeah. where the next part of every character beat in this plotline goes. Yeah, and, and kind of, well, I think it's 139 and 140, Wolverine go, and Nightcrawl go up to Canada to help Alpha Flight with the Wendigo. And because he mentions it was his one of his first missions for them. And they deal with the Wendigo and cure this guy. He becomes human again. Yeah. But no Hulk. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even appear as a guest star. No. No, he does not. I mean, I don't know if Wolverine and Hulk, do they even fight face each other again in, in, before the uh, Peter David era? Not that I recall. The closest is Wolverine Sasquatch, because, you know, Sasquatch, Walter Lankowski being an attempt to recreate the Hulk. Yeah. So where Sasquatch is essentially, you know, the Hulk that's able to maintain his own presence of mind. So it's like Bruce Banner's mind is always running the Hulk. He could change at will. And at least in the earliest appearances in Uncanny X-Men, he is stronger than the Hulk. Yeah. Although they change that later. Well, yeah. But yeah, I mean, unless, unless it was in Secret Wars, I really can't think of any time where they actually faced him again. Before the uh, Incredible Hulk was at 340, when McFarlane was drawing it? Somewhere in that range, yeah. On Secret Wars, it is coming up as uh, uh, episode 11. And by that we mean the original Secret Wars from the 80s, the 12-issue toy commercial. As opposed to the Secret Wars that will be in the midst of publication as this is released, if not at the time it's recorded. Yeah, and not the Secret Wars of Nick Fury only. Well, not only, but that Nick Fury started. And not the Secret Wars 2 with the perm. Yeah, and the secret, the, the one of Nick Fury wasn't plural, it was Secret War. That's right. So, very subtle difference that still confused pretty much everyone, because it's a very subtle difference. Yeah. The point is, no one has a perm. That's no. the important thing. And everyone knows how to use the toilet. So, the next part of the podcast is why we think it landed at this point in the rankings. Wolverine. Yeah. It, this is a simple one, because this is an easy one, because it's all the answers are the same. First Wolverine, 
First Wolverine. <laughs> Significance? First Wolverine. Anything important happen? First Wolverine. Yep. In fact, I'm just going to go take a nap now. You have me saying First Wolverine. Just keep looping it in. Okay. Yeah, I think that really does wrap it up. So uh, why don't you remind people about where they can find you? Because there's not much else to say here. Yeah. All right. You can find me at Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Me, along with other uh, guest hosts, including uh, usually John Wilson or Brian Zeno, talking about Adam Warlock and Thanos. Look it up on iTunes or just go to resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And you can also find me and Brian doing our own little thing, talking about anything else we feel like or anything else that bothers us at Four Color Fanboys at fourcolor.podwits.com. All right. Yeah, so definitely check out Al's shows. For those of you reading along at home, next week we are going to be discussing Iron Man Extremis. Ooh. Yeah, that's reprinted in Iron Man Extremis, both hardcover and trade paperback. It's available through Marvel Digital Unlimited, through Comixology, and on the Get Corp DVD ROMs. And a motion comic. This is true. It was adapted into a motion comic, which I have not watched. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. I remember seeing it somewhere. So if reading's too hard, you know, too many words, go watch it on Netflix. <laughs> All right. So, Al, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for being foolish and having me on again. All right. Yeah, well, it's going to happen at least a couple more times. Ah, uh, you're a sucker. We'll just see if you could find a way to get the stories even shorter. I'm, I'm trying to get a one-page thing, and that's it. Yeah, so join us again when Al comes in to discuss a hostess fruit, fruit pie ad starring Adam Warlock. Well, first we're going to do a Hembex page from Marvel Age, because he has two pages. And then the hostess fruit pie, because it's one. Okay. Until eventually we just discuss a panel somewhere. <laughs> we're going to do the one day from the Spider-Man comic strip. All right, so... As always, you can rate the show on iTunes or Stitcher and share the links with friends if you think they'd be interested in hearing it. You can track down our forum on Facebook to discuss you know, what's going on with the podcast, and you can also discuss things at Bureau42.com. Thank you for listening.